Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about roles, Dave, like dinner roles and job roles. Ah, Kaiser roles. Kaiser roles, right? Or a nice nice Bialy, like good onion in there. (laughs) This is going to become a food podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on Anne and Dave's Dish. No, let's talk about about roles that other people play and how that plays a role in persuasion. Roles people play, right or day. You I promised say. me you would never sing. Are you calling that singing? It was part of my contract. <laughs> Are you calling that singing is what I should be <laughs> You called it singing, which is, to me is proof that I can sing because you- See? Are right, you I knew what you were trying to do. Yeah. Maybe you're better than you thought. All right, folks, we'll, we'll give you a moment to get tissue so you can wipe the blood coming out of your ears. <laughs> From our bad humor and Dave's glorious singing. Actually, I thought it was pretty good, Dave. Uh, you can't see me, folks, but I'm patting my heart. Warm and fuzzies. Yeah, that's us. All right, so roles. What about, and we're talking one L and an E, not two L's. One L and an E. Yes, Correct. <laughs> What about roles is it that you want to cover? Well, it's as we try to persuade people, I think one of the really important pieces of building that rapport and trust that we always talk about is making people feel important. And I think sometimes we get stuck in what their job is, what their role is in the organization, what their role is in decision-making, and we may treat some people poorly, uh, who ultimately could help us or be more persuaded than we could benefit from having them on board. You absolutely. In fact, you know, it's funny. This reminds me of a story when I was in the Navy and uh, I had, I had changed squadrons. We call it cross decking. Normally you're in a squadron for a sea period, you know, for like three years. And then you go to what they call a short tour where you're not going to be going to sea. And then you go back to another squadron or some other uh, command that's going to sea circumstances were such that in the middle of my sea tour, they had a transfer to another squadron. They call it cross-decking. So I was staying at sea, just going to a different squadron. So I'm a seasoned, we called it salty was the term we use in the Navy, you know, lieutenant at this point. And I'm in the new command and I was getting ready to go flying. Uh, we're, we're not at the boat. We're on the beach. We're getting ready to go flying. And I can't remember what chief said something to me, chief petty officer. So the chiefs are the mid-level managers. Um, they really, you know, there's a saying, they say, you know, don't call me, sir. I work for a living, right? Because they, they, they officers don't work. You don't say, sir, to a chief. These are the heart and soul of the Navy. It's They're, they're like the sergeants, not, they're non-com, non-commissioned officers. And they're the heart and soul of any branch of the service. I forgot that these guys didn't know me very well at this point. And I, I made an offhand comment and just said, hey, don't forget who signed your evals, something like that. Forgot all about it. You know, it was it was meant in jest and they didn't know me. 
about a week later, one of the lieutenants, other, you know, my you know, peers, one of the other lieutenants who had been with the squadron for getting ready to come out, came up to me and said, you got a problem with the chiefs. And I had noticed it a little frigid whenever I went to maintenance to check out. But, you know, I'm like, whatever, they're busy. You know, I didn't think anything of it. And he told me that they were all pissed off because of that comment. I'm like, holy crap, that was just met in jest. So I went down, I asked the senior chief in charge of the maintenance shop. I said, hey, can I need a few minutes with the chiefs. Can you get everybody together for me? And they said, sure. And they got him in a room and I said, listen, guys, I, I owe you an apology. I made this comment to chief so-and-so and, you know, I forgot that I'm relatively new to this question. You guys don't know me. I, this is my second, you know, back-to-back tour. My old squadron, they knew me really well. They'd have recognized it for the jest I meant it. I have the utmost respect for you guys. I didn't mean to offend you. I am so sorry. You can't treat people like dirt. That's the bottom line there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you never know who you're going to need, who's going to be able to help you. And and your motivation shouldn't be that I could use you someday. You could benefit me someday. Your motivation should be like, I'm a good human and you're a fellow human and I want to treat you well. Um, but when it ta- comes to persuasion and building that trust, it's really important to treat everybody like humans. A- absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's so many different reasons for that. You know, as you said, in my case, I truly didn't mean anything by it. And I felt mortified that they took it that way. And by the way, and if somebody's listening right now who may be aware of this situation from 30 years ago, besides me, they were the utmost professionals. They never once did anything to let on that this was a problem. It's not like they tried to get me back, but it was a problem for me. Yeah. The trust was out the window because they didn't think that you respected them. You know, for me, it wasn't even about their trust was out the window. It was that they didn't think I respected them and I did. And they need, I needed them to know that. Well, right. Yeah. Right, right. And it's a whole lot easier to get it right from the beginning than to backpedal the way you had to, even though, I mean, it was totally not your intention and you did the right thing in saying, hey, whoa, whoa, that was totally not my intention. I have the utmost respect, like you said, um, but it's, it's, it's good to be able to do this up front and to be intentional about it. And, and interestingly enough, and I've seen this situation time and time again since then, and other people. I mean, I learned my lesson. I, you know, um, you also never know who's watching. Yeah. So, assume let's let's go to sales for a second, and, and this applies in leadership as well, right? We've all seen those. And it's usually in newer business leaders, right? So the new supervisor or the new manager who maybe was either just came out of college or was promoted from within, from, from the ranks of the worker bees. And they don't really understand how to lead where it's a salesperson who thinks they're above it all because, you know, they're, they've got the gold, the Rolex and they've got the Mercedes. And, you know, this is just uh, some young little 20 something first job out of college at the reception desk, you know, you know, Hey hon, why don't you go, you know, get me a cup of coffee, you know, that sort of thing. And if you're treating them with disrespect and then you turn around and you're different. Right. That's huge. People go, wow, this person's not genuine. Yeah. And I've also heard of people hiring managers who will ask the receptionist, 
how did that person treat you when they came in for their interview? You know, and that, that that's part of your interview, you know, um, that, and you never do know who's watching. Yeah, it's funny. I, uh, one of my former clients, a good friend of mine still. And, uh, I remember when he was interviewing technicians, we would always sit down with the rest of the team and say, what did you think? What was your impression just walking in the door? And then if somebody made it through the first couple of wickets with the team, they would just go out to eat. And, mm-hmm. and it was just, it wasn't an interview. It was just a casual, let's all go get to know each other because that chemistry is so important. Right. Right. And then you can also see how do they treat the wait staff? How are they, you know, talking about their old coworkers, old bosses, you know? Right. As, as our you know mentor, coach, friend, Michelle always says, as we do one thing, we do everything. Yes. And it's how are we treating the humans around us and how does that play into persuasion? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. We're on, I don't know, episode 68, 69, right? We, we, we've talked a lot, both you and me and, and me and Darren have talked a lot about persuasion, but it really comes down to, we could do one episode, one and done persuasion, right? Um, you know, the golden rule, right? Yep. If you just treat people well, treat them with respect and, and show them you care about them. Yes. It'll be a lot easier to persuade them. And that's what John Maxwell says. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason John Maxwell is like John Maxwell. Right. Well, I mean, he was because his parents named him that. (laughs) True. Right. But he's so well recognized because of words of wisdom such as that, you know. Right. And he's one of those people that can reach through an audience of thousands of people and make you as an individual feel important which is an incredible skill. Um, but that's what we're trying to do as we're going through interactions with our clients, interactions with our teams, whoever. I mean, I remember when I was on the executive team of the, the gym chain in New York, um, Town Sports International, and we had somebody who, she was exclusively in charge of all of the equipment for all of the gyms. So if you think about 160 full service gyms, right? Where you go work out, you think of all the treadmills, all the weights, all the exercise equipment. She was in charge of all of it for all of the clubs, making sure it got purchased, got maintenanced. That's not a word, got taken care of and got removed when it needed to. That was her job exclusively. And I went to her during the first week of my job, because I knew as the group exercise VP that I was going to need to work with Joe a lot. And so I asked her, how do you work? What do you like? What drives you nuts? What, you know, how do you make your decisions? Making her feel like your job is important to me and you are important to my job. Um, and that served me so well while I was there because, you know, she listened to me and she knew I cared about her and her experience and her job. And she had the coolest name on the planet. Well, what was her name? Joe Rocket. Can't argue with that one. I know, right? Right. And just just about name like Joe Rocket, you light your hair on fire and you just take off. That's right. <laughs> but by taking that couple minutes to respect this person who hierarchically, if you looked at the job hierarchy, she was below me. But 
the role that she played was so important to me being able to do my job that she should have been at a, a, I mean, like flatten the structure, right? This is what I'm saying here is that all the hierarchy doesn't matter. We all play an important role in each other's jobs. Right. And she was below you, but not beneath you. Correct. Right. And that's she was a, actually taller than me. Well, wow. <laughs> kind of Amazon. But um, I had small hair then. Sorry, Joe. I, I don't know you. So, you know, but in, in all seriousness, if, if you think somebody's role is menial, unimportant, not as important as yours. Think about and, and if first of all, that tells me you've probably never started your own business where you run everything. Everything. <laughs> right. You you literally do everything. And and what you do as you grow your business is you start handing off those jobs that you are either less capable of doing or enjoy doing uh, less. You're not uh, right, or they're not your main focus as as things go on. Those are not unimportant jobs, or you wouldn't be doing them. Right. The role would not exist if it was unimportant. And for you or for somebody to think that, oh, they do something unimportant, they're easily replaced. No. And look at today. Right now, you can't find bodies to fill jobs right now. No job is easy to replace. Right. Treasure everybody. Yeah. And- and, you know, the past couple episodes, we've talked about motivation. We talked about knowing people's names. And this all goes to the I care about you situation. And that's what we're talking about here, that your role in the organization is just as important as everybody else's where it wouldn't exist. We're not running on, you know, excess budgets here. And so by treating everybody inside your organization as though they are as vitally important as everybody else. You're going to get that pride and belonging and that feeling of intrinsic motivation. Yeah. I mean, that really what it comes down to is making sure that you understand that they need to feel important, that they are more important than you are. Right. And so these concepts are not mutually exclusive. And and so on the one hand, you have, right, the CEO is the highest paid person typically in an organization because it's the most critical job because they set the tone, right? And they generate in one form or another, the most amount of revenue, maybe not directly, but through their efforts, their decisions, et cetera, right? That's why CEOs get paid so much, the value bang for the buck return. At the same time, a well-run company will run perfectly fine for months on end without a CEO. They may not grow, may not expand because that's really the role of the CEO, but the day-to-day operations would not be impacted one nanosecond or whatever you want to call it. Nano bit. Yeah. Nano bit, nano something. (laughs) One nanny. Um, At all, if the CEO took an extended vacation. If they've set everything up correctly. (laughs) That's correct. Yeah, that is correct. And obviously, in all your major corporations, right? I mean, that happens all the time. The interim CEO, you know, the you know, CEO goes away, and yeah, they might appoint an interim CEO, but they're not doing the same thing. You know, they don't yeah. have quite the breadth of, of rules. And to some degree, to for a finite amount of time at least, they can do without. The company will still produce their widgets. Right. And yeah. what and what this is speaking to is leadership that empowers people in whatever role they're in to do their jobs and feel good about doing their jobs. 
And that shouldn't, the role shouldn't matter because again, every single role is important to getting stuff done. Right. And so I had, I had a really, I know it was pithy thought. It was probably going to change the lives of everybody listening. And now it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Because it was so pithy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of though, is that, you know, one of the things I said when I got into that job in New York city was that my job was to make sure that my team could do their job and to make their job easier, make it possible, make it effective. And that kind of flips that hierarchy chart, you know, because I'm there to make sure they're getting their stuff done and that we're moving it in a strategic direction. And so by understanding that it flips it. What you're actually talking about is what, you know, Edward Demings came up with in the fifties, which is the, you know, the TQM total quality management, which is a manager's job. Manager's customers are the people who report to him. Who they're managing. Yep. Who they're managing the the bottom up management, right? Empowering the people at the lowest level to, to make the decisions that they need to make without having to seek upward approval. You know, when we were in the military, when we, when I, was in the military and both of you, both of me. Right. Well, I am a Gemini. So, Oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. You're never alone with the Gemini. Um, But you know, in the military, in the U S military, at least in my day, I'm not sure what it looks like today, but it was very much, you know, you, you gave commanders intent. This is the big picture, what I'm looking for, but you let the people who are closest to the problem, solve the problem Mm -hmm. because otherwise one communication, it, it just takes too long. It's, and they're not out there in the field seeing what needs to get done. And they couldn't make that decision fast enough anyway. There's not just not enough data, yeah. right? So you let, you know, the, 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 the fire team leader, right, which is the smallest unit in the army as a fire team, that fire team leader, they've got a huge amount of responsibility to deploy their fire team correctly. Right. And it's making sure people are empowered to do their jobs. They understand how to make those decisions and they're allowed to make those decisions. Not because, oh, you're an assistant. You shouldn't be making that kind of decision. It's making sure that they know where they're supposed to, you know, yeah, that they can make those decisions. And if if you're sitting there right now thinking to yourself, yeah, um, you don't know my company. I need to look at everything. Just imagine how much more time you'd have to work on the really important stuff how much time you'd have, how much bigger your company would grow if you just trusted those people to make their decisions and how much easier it'd be for you to get them to embrace your suggestions when they know that they're part of that. Right. And how much harder they would work and more committed they would be if they felt that they were trusted and empowered to make those decisions. All right. So don't treat poor people poorly because of their role. And in fact, I would say, right, just don't treat people poorly. We could just. just <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Very simply, don't be, treat people poorly. Right. All right. What else you got? Dinner rolls are delicious as well. Treat them with respect. Eat them with respect. Eat them with respect. <laughs> Don't, don't eat your team members. Yeah. Well, I think we should maybe respect our listeners and we're going to give them a, this is going to be a short one today, folks. Well, they're we, all hungry now. So we got to give them a chance to go get a snack. All right. Well, tune in next week 
and we'll have some more dinner rolls for you. <laughs> that concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Yeah.